the reading of the scriptures from Genesis 22, uh, reading the entire chapter, verses 1 to 24. May God uh, give uh, grace both in the reading and the hearing of his word as we have it in Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abram, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. And it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah, has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, uh, Jidlaf, 
and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ramah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Maacah. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you again to join me in a time of prayer. Again, O oh Father, we bow our heads to you in prayer and worship. Great is our God, greatly to be praised. We thank you, O oh Father, for your loving kindness to us and every gift and blessing poured down from heaven for us. The great gift of the Son, whom we worship as our Redeemer, the great gift of the Holy Spirit to us, the giver of life, who pours into our hearts the very love of God and then who guides and directs us in the paths of righteousness. Uh, thank you for our daily bread. We have returned uh, a measure of that uh, in offering. Bless the offering for your kingdom, the kingdom of Christ and the welfare of others. I remember this morning uh, the sick among us uh, and the shut-ins who cannot be with us. Bless and be near to them. Bless all that is done for their care and welfare and bless those giving care to them. Bless our homes, children, grandchildren. It is our deep desire that we would see all of them, every child, every grandchild, enjoy every blessing and benefit of saving grace from the good hand of God. Protect us, our home, this church, the elect throughout the world from the danger of spreading disease and lawlessness. Restrain it in war. Cut it short for the sake of the elect, I pray. Bless us as a congregation to be salt and light, to love one another sincerely, and to bear good witness to Christ our Savior and His kingdom. And bless and hear every prayer rising unspoken, but yet uh, rising to the throne of grace and help. Make haste, O God. O Lord, make haste to help us in all these things. And now bless your word, which is firmly fixed forever in the heavens, that it may go forth in power and with the Spirit of God uh, to behold, uh, that we might see wonderful things in your word and further equip us for love and good works uh, to bear good witness to Christ and to walk in his commandments. We ask these things for his sake. Christ, amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. One of the things that becomes uh, quite obvious uh, to every student of the Scripture is uh, when we read God's Word, we learn that our faith and service to Him uh, is, uh, is very costly. Um, we come without cost because we have nothing with which to secure God's favor and our redemption. But having come to faith, uh, God is to be honored by the service and faith in our lives. And again, that is a very costly thing. Sometimes it demands a great deal. But what we also learn that's uh, parallel to that is while there is cost as we serve, uh, God always has provision, always has provision. Uh, he never commands us uh, to give apart from his giving to us. Uh, but we'll learn about this tension here um, in Abraham's life, do we not? Abraham is tested. In an incredible way is he tested, and yet God provides. 
always provides. Uh, I want to review very quickly some of the tests in uh, Abraham's life, mainly to cement the notion that it's something of a mirror of your life. Throughout your faith, you're going to be tested. Go through difficult times, or whatever the case might be, uh, you're going to be tested, just as Abraham was tested. Uh, we know, uh, beginning uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12, God calls him. He doesn't call him to do an easy thing, does he? Uh, he's to leave his country, his relatives, his father's house, and his father's religion. Imagine God coming to you and saying, leave your family. That'd be tough. At least it would be for me. It'd be incredibly difficult. Well, it was for Abraham, but he leaves out of obedience. Um, he was tested by famine. Goes down to Egypt. And yet God provided for him, and he leaves Egypt enriched. Isn't that interesting? He was tested in the departure of Lot, whom he thought was the son of promise, but God reaffirmed uh, the promises to him after the departure. He was tested again when a coalition of kings took Lot captive. He was victorious by divine provision, and Melchizedek blesses him. Cost and provision. Uh, he complains about being childless, and God validates the covenant promises by putting him to sleep and ratifying the covenant by himself. It was an incredible picture of God's grace, that God does it all. He again jeopardizes uh, the promises by listening to his wife and taking Hagar to uh, raise up a son. He's told to dismiss the son, a very difficult thing for any man to do. But God promises to care for Ishmael. Common grace. Abraham engages in subterfuge again with Abimelech. Again, God protects him and enriches him. Lastly, at an age well beyond his ability to have a son. Not only his ability, but his wife's ability. He has a son. Because God can create life out of death. So test and provision, challenge and grace are repeated over and over and over again, time after time in Abraham's life. And we learn here that the demands of God are provisioned by God, so much so that they go together. When there's demand, there's provision. When there's provision, it's because there was a demand. In verses 1 to 10 of Genesis chapter 22, the faith is costly and is evidenced by obedience and love. The text begins, and God tested Abraham. Again, another long litany of tests, but this one is supreme. He calls to Abraham, and God says, here I am. Hebrew word, hineni, is essentially Abraham standing at attention, saluting, saying, God, you, you say it, and I'll do it. By the way, that's a tough thing to say before God. Abraham does. The nuance of the word test is to prove the quality of his faith through adversity. An element of our lives, we go through adversity. And in that adversity, God is improving 
the quality of our faith. An impossible demand is placed on him to refine his faith and to draw him closer to God in love. It's a New Testament expression of this in James chapter 2, verse 22. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of works, faith was perfected. God is always perfecting our faith. We come to Christ initially by faith. He perfects that through testing. By the way, don't be surprised at the testing of your faith. Expect it, because God is improving the quality thereof out of his love for you. So God commands him to take his son and go three days to Moriah and to offer him as a burnt offering. Uh, the cost, very interestingly enough, in, in our, our text this morning is painfully specified. Ten times we read, your son. And then three times we read, not just your son, your only son, whom you love. So it's an incredibly uh, sharp demand that's placed upon him. Uh, Abraham obeys. On the third day, he sees the place from a distance. Uh, geographically, I don't know if you made this connection, but Moriah is the site of the future temple in Jerusalem where there were a continual stream of sacrifices. They were costly for the offers to bring. Um, the Levitical system uh, was costly. They had to bring the first fruits of all of uh, their lives, uh, but certainly their uh, husbandry uh, and uh, their crops. Uh, three days, I think, is something of an emotional challenge uh, for Abraham. Imagine having this cost placed upon you and then having to wonder about it, worry over it, fret over it for three days. I suspect Abraham didn't sleep well uh, those days. Uh, parallel, if you will, to uh, our Savior's life, his body is in the tomb for three days. What do you think his disciples are doing? Thinking all types of thoughts. Was it worth it? Did we follow the wrong guy? Were his promises real? I suspect the same. They didn't sleep very much. Profound emotional challenge. Uh, in your life, speaking to the adults, you know something of what I mean when I say that. That in our faith, there are sometimes profound emotional challenges. Uh, we know from subsequent revelation that God demands the first fruits of everything in the life of the believer. Uh, it's very interesting. You say, well, no, now Phil, uh, he didn't take the first fruits of all the children of Israel. No, because he provided a substitution in the tribe of Levi. They were the substitutes. An entire tribe was devoted entirely to the service of God. That's the first fruits for all the other 11. So this sacrifice, if you will, that's placed upon Abraham is expressed continually uh, throughout uh, 
the demands of uh, the book of Leviticus, even the taking of firstborn sons through another tribe, substitution by substitution. James chapter 1, verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among the creatures. You and I are first fruits. God takes, God takes first. And it's really symbolic that he's not paid off by the first, of course. He's worthy of the first. But it's not just the first. The first is symbolic that he expects everything, everything else. He doesn't want just your tithe. He wants it all. No, not literally speaking, but it all belongs to him is the point. Think about it. Every possession you have, your home, your automobiles, your retirement plans. Again, I'm not denying that they're to be used for health care and providing for education. I, I understand all that. But the point is it belongs to God. It's his and he wants it used for his glory. Why do you educate your children for the glory of God? Why do you serve Him for the glory of God? Very costly. All, everything, everything you have, there's a stamp on it that says it belongs to me. Use it for my glory. Now, Revelation chapter 14, 4, there's uh, some men, companies been seen and John describes them as these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. It's a picture of uh, everyone in heaven, by the way, purchased from among men, first fruits to God. Well, in this journey, Isaac asks a very important question. <laughs> Hey, Dad, um, I get it, but I don't see the lamb for the burnt offering. Uh, look at Abraham's uh, answer uh, in verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Uh, notice the phrase, God will provide. There's a demand placed upon Abraham in the provision by faith. Abraham understands that the provision, though the cost is extreme, is God's to give. Literally, uh, the Hebrew text is God will see for himself. Um, it's a figure of speech. Uh, the end is uh, what Moses intends by the figure. Uh, we could translate it in this way that God will see to it. You know, maybe you've heard that phrase in your work life. Uh, you've heard your boss go to someone and say, look, I want you to uh, do thus and such, and the man or woman says, I'll see to it. It's not literally I'll see to it, it's I'm going to do it. Well, God's going to see to it and provide the lamb for the burnt offering. In other words, Abraham believed that God would make it happen because God can create life out of death. He's learned that. He's learned that over and over in his life. Throughout every test, 
that I recited at the outset, God provided. There was death hovering over him, and God provided life. Because demand and provision in God's economy always go together. Not just in Abraham's life, but in your life. And the testing has taught Abraham exactly that. Um, Beautiful reminder, Romans chapter 4, verse 21. And being fully assured that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That's where Abraham's faith has brought him. That God can make his promises happen. God will see to it. Great, great reminder. Verses 11 to 14. Genesis 22. True faith is provisioned by grace. God stops the sacrifice. You've learned that from your hearing. Abraham fears God above all things. He would not withhold his only son from God. Uh, Incredible challenge. Uh, Meaning many things, but one of which is that Isaac belongs to God and for the service of God. So God provided a ram caught in a thicket by its horns behind him, and it's offered up in place of Isaac, his son. Notice, again, the reading of the text, verse 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his corns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Just chance, right? Just the luck of the draw. Absolutely not. I don't believe in luck. I believe in God's faithfulness to his sons. We we use that phrase a lot. We really should not use it. Well, I was lucky today. No. God provisions us. God is the provider. God's providence. He brought the lamb, had the ram uh, caught in a thicket by its horns. That was God's provision. It's offered up in place of his son. By the way, there's a number of places. In fact, the Bible is uh, throughout uh, filled with this concept of uh, God making demands upon his children and then making provision. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Daniel uh, chapter 1. Incredible cost uh, has uh, been paid by Daniel and his colleagues. Uh, By the way, they are called out from their families, are they not? And from their countrymen. Are they not? It's all through captivity, I granted, but it's very parallel uh, conceptually to the call of God to Abraham. He's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are called uh, out of their country. And incredible demands are placed upon them by the emperor. Uh, emperor sacrifices a bunch of animals for the glory of the emperor, and he provides that food for... Uh, Daniel and his three colleagues. They refuse to eat. That's the test. Will you engage in the worship of idols? Or will you commit your future and maybe even your life? It wasn't a minor thing. Had Daniel said, 
take that meat and probably been killed by the emperor. How was it that Daniel and his three colleagues were so successful? Demand and provision. Look at the provision, verse 17. As for these four use, God gave them. Notice, notice the grace of God. He gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. That single verse marks out the entire book for us, as you know, in the grace of God. It's not that Daniel was smarter. He was very smart, or he wouldn't have been uh, taken into the king's court. Because the king didn't take riffraff for his worship and service. He took the best. And, Ab- and Daniel was so numbered. He's going to be successful not because of his own brilliance and culture, but because God gave him everything he needed to work through every test. And they're going to come methodically upon Daniel, but he has the provision, and that is the reality of God's dealing with all of us. God gives us his grace to provision us in all of the tests, great though they may be, the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul is in a test. He asked God to remove the test from him. God, take it away from me. This is too painful. God provisions him. He says, my grace is sufficient. Now, I know many of you uh, are going through some kind of test in life. Unbeknownst to me, perhaps anyone else in this room, you're being tested in a profound way. God's grace is always sufficient. Because God has many sons, and he loves them profoundly, just as Abraham loved Isaac. And God provisioned him in the test, and will so provision you. Abraham names the place, look at Genesis twenty-two fourteen. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. It's very interesting he names the place. I find that profoundly interesting. You need to have historic markers by your memory in your life. That was tough, but God provided. It's what Abraham does. The Lord will provide. In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Literally, Yahweh will make it so. And God made it so. In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Again, literally, it will be seen. Will be seen. Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews uh, alludes to this event. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. As you know, this is a great hall of fame. We have a kajillion halls of fame in America. The Bible has one. Hebrews chapter 11. I should say two, when all of us are in heaven. It's a hall of fame. Hebrews chapter 11, reading... Verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. That God provides always provides. 
that testing and provision are uniquely in God's grace, united together in wonderful matrimony, if you will. So Abraham knew of God's ability to raise the dead, trusted God. And true faith is blessed with affirmations from God, verses 15 to 19. God blesses the willingness of Abraham to sacrifice at great cost to himself. Uh, Nothing has changed from the great promises of God, uh, but without question, what has changed? Abraham. Abraham is now a changed man in a radical sense. As the quality of his faith bears full blossom. By the way, I remind you, God's promises do not change. You are the person that will be changed by God's grace and the majesty of every one of His provisions. It's a reminder that service is costly, obedience is essential, and the constancy of the provisions of grace is always in a thicket right behind us. The effects of the blessing are proclaimed in the certainty of transition, verses 22, pardon me, 2024. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, a story of of, uh, Abraham's uh, family. And there's something very unique in this provision, is there not? The name Rebecca. And you and I know immediately that God is providing for the transition when Abraham and Sarah die. That Isaac will have a wife, and here it is. We don't know that at this point. But we learn from the text, the provision of God, that there is a wife for Isaac. And we're going to watch Isaac fret and worry. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen to me? Will I have a son? Rebecca's already been born. And I remind you, God has many, many provisions for you. In His grace. Many tests. Many provisions. The repetition of the phrase is eclipsed by the sacrifice of our Heavenly Father. The repetition of the phrase, your only Son, has its counterpart in the Son of God. God gave Him for the effectual sacrifice of the one for the many. God so loved all men without distinction that He gave His only begotten Son. Captured in the word world. The beauty of the majesty of the gift of God. I mean, think about it. Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, rich man, poor man. No ethnicity whatsoever. I used the illustration in my Sunday school class this morning. Uh, if this was the 1950s, uh, deep, deep south, Alabama, and the preacher got up and said, God loves black men and women. He'd be in trouble, but not before God. Because God loves all men without distinction. There is no ethnicity whatsoever. The grace of God. Chapter, John chapter 1 verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of all men without 
distinction. Even, even wretched sinners like Phil Bowersocks. God's grace. So the sacrifice of the Son of God is effectual and not contingent on anyone or anything. There's an echo, I think, of Genesis 22.16 and Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not freely give us all things? Nothing withheld in his grace to you. And the all things is not a 58 Corvette in your driveway Monday morning. It's all things necessary to see you throughout your life so that you will, without question, enter heavenly glory. Nothing withheld. I always uh, talk about uh, our Arminian brethren. God elects uh, the church based on their foreseen faith. In other words, they have to do something before he will do anything. That's not grace. God provides eternal salvation. He will raise up, up all in the last day as long as we persevere in the faith. That's not grace. Grace is God has given us all things, including faith and hope and life, and our perseverance in the faith we hold dear. In every test, God is there with something or someone caught in a thicket that you can behold. So what God asks us to do, he provisions. He gives us all things. And what God asks us to do, he does at a greater cost. It frames the gospel, the one for the many who are blessed, both now and forevermore, based on demand and provision. And thank God for his provisions. Always, always there. This morning we have a beautiful reminder of his provision in the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, in many churches, the sacrament of the Lord's table is a memorial of the grace of God. I believe it is a measure of a memorial because we do remember this do in remembrance of me, Jesus says. But it is more than that. He fellowships with us as the host of the table, Jesus Christ himself. So that there is a spiritual presence. Not a literal presence, but a spiritual presence of the grace of God as he fellowships with us, reminding us throughout the sacrament as we partake and eat and drink. What's he remind us of? I did this for you. I loved you. And I will withhold nothing from you. So it increases our love and affection for him. It increases our faith. It increases the quality of our faith so that we know that God's grace is sufficient in every trial because He withheld His only begotten Son and therefore He will logically and biblically give us all things. As I, uh, as I break the bread, I remind you that radical and incredible, painful wrath fell upon the Son as he was paying our bill that we deserve to pay and that he was undeserving to pay. And so he has a great provision. 
Yeah, as I pass the bread, I ask that you hold it until which time all of us are served and then we will uh, partake together. But more importantly, during that time, you have a wonderful occasion to have uh, silent prayer before God. Thanksgiving for the Son, the only begotten Son whom God loved for the foundation of the world, and that from Him there will accrue to us manifold blessings uh, that eye has not fully seen nor ear fully comprehended the majesty thereof. And so we should give thanks of God's provision for the Lamb of God. And uh, let's turn our hearts to uh, His praise and worship, for he, he indeed is worthy, but He gives to us the unworthy to make us worthy because of His Son. And so let us uh, give thanks for the bread of heaven, namely Jesus, our great and only Redeemer. Let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful for that our Savior, because of His love for us, uh, went to the cross, spent everything to obtain our eternal redemption. He didn't obtain the possibility of our redemption. He secured it by the one-time ransom of himself offered for all time, the one for the many. Uh, and keep us mindful, Lord, of the costliness, but also the provision that God raised him from the dead and granted him to sit at the right hand of the God the Father in the eternal throne, the majesty of God. May that grace strengthen us, encourage us, and may we know through our faith and personal trust and hope in Jesus Christ that we were numbered among the sons obtained by his redemptive work upon the cross. And may that remind us that we can keep going forward, for God will provide all things throughout all the exigencies of our life, and here is the sacrament that so expresses the majesty of that. Bless us as we partake. Strengthen our unity, but all the more our love and affection for our great God who gave us His only begotten Son. In His name we pray. Amen. As we uh, pass the service of the cup, I remind you that uh, our Lord uh, poured out His life, the shedding of the blood, uh, for the remission of our sins. And help us to grasp the reality of that, all that it means to us in our, our redemption. Uh, I do remind you in the service uh, that in, uh, in the middle of the service that will be passed to you, there is wine. In the periphery, there is grape juice, so that each may partake in the freedom of their own tradition and conscience. Uh, but more importantly, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And we should focus upon that and all that it means. Uh, because uh, Christ our Savior has brought many sons to glory.
by the one-time offering of himself, he will lead them to glory by the majesty of his constant provisions for us. And may we uh, pray in thanksgiving and uh, ask God to bless us as we so partake. So in the cup, we are reminded that we have the greater outpouring of the life and death of our Savior, and we have the greatest gift of all time, the forgiveness of our sins. Not the possibility of forgiveness, but the forgiveness Because God in His grace doesn't make us reconcilable. He reconciles us and dispatches His Spirit to make it so. The marvels of the grace of God. And so we should uh, have hearts full of thanksgiving and joy uh, because of God's goodness to us. Let us pray. Our Father, in the cup, we receive from the hand of our great and blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, provision for us. Uh, We are walking in a dry and thirsty land, but we have that which will quench our every thirst. And by believing and hoping in Him, we have great provision, not just now, but for every trial and test yet to come. And remind us, Lord, always, as we come again, in 30-some-odd days, to behold the majesty of God in the sacrament of the Lord's table, uh, displayed before us in visible substance of the invisible truth and reality that in Him we have life, and that life everlasting. For these things, we are profoundly thankful. We ask that continued blessings upon us because of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.